What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Welcome to A Few Things, where we give our greatest discoveries the podcast they deserve. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. This show is brought to you by Of A Kind. Find out more and sign up for our newsletter at ofakind.com. Hey. Hi. How's it going over there on oh, that side? Oh, pretty good. I switched seats today. I know. I don't know how I feel about it, but I'm... It's a little weird. I'm accepting it. I'm you feel to. far away. I am far away. I'm significantly further away. Apparently, Alex has been giving me the crappy mic this whole time. Sure. Yeah. We or a- maybe the mic got crappier. I'd like to provide a mini Alex update without Alex. Yeah. Um, somebody on Twitter called him out on how did it possibly take him three dates to get to find out that that, that woman's political views, that she was a Trump supporter. Yeah. And I was so impressed with his emotional maturity. He said, fair, very fair point. And very. he felt like that that was that was it felt like a him. teachable moment. Yeah. And he said, you know, you talk about McDonald's, you can usually figure out where somebody stands on these things. What was I doing? Totally. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's I think he's evolving. Our, our friend Alex. We can only hope. Yeah. You know what else is evolving? <laughs> what? Cash. Yeah. We've been talking a lot recently. Or you and I not even talking about just not having any cash on us. We, you and I well, have you not were had really any good cash for a little bit because you didn't have an easy pass. And so, oh, like, there, it was a well, particularly it was an anxiety stark con- mechanism. Yeah, it was. It like- was a particularly stark contrast in that moment, though. Wow, this just brought up a whole other cash like story in my life that I forgot about. Remember when I went to the Dominican Republic on my own? Yeah, and had to go through like three um, toll booths, toll booths, and had no pe- Dominican pesos. Yeah, and each time kept getting stuck. Man, I never have cash. Yeah. It was worse. That was the worst scenario of not having cash, probably. That was really bad. Yeah. That um, was not great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So neither of us ever have any cash. No, ever. And there was like last summer, I never had any cash and I was training for the marathon. And I every time before I would go out for my long run, I realized I needed cash because my you want to stop to get water along the way yeah. and the like hot dog vendors don't accept credit cards. Nor should they for your $1 bottle of <laughs> no. water. Like, yeah. Why do they want to pay the those processing fees? fees? Yeah. yeah. So I would always have to ask Chris and it just became this thing where he would be like, here's your walking around money. Like, <laughs> as if we were like a married couple in the 50s. And yeah. He was just like giving me my allowance. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then shortly thereafter, something happened where I forgot or screwed up my pin 
And it was like, I called the bank about it and it somehow didn't resolve it. And it had been a very frustrating call to the bank. So I just kind of gave up for a while because I couldn't face dealing with it. Which is a truly interesting response. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I hate... And I even I, and I understand all your feelings around it, but you just couldn't access your bank account. No, it was really dumb. And it was like I, it was a weird I can't remember. I don't know what the excuse is. And I do want to shout out my bank, Charles Schwab, because you've talked about them. <laughs> I've talked before. about them a lot <laughs> and they will refund ATM fees no matter what ATM you go to yeah. because they don't have ATM. So for yeah. them, it's like I, I figure they, they make the calculus. They're like, all right, it's cheaper for us to just refund every single fee and to build this physical yeah. hardware. So I had no excuse. It was just pure laziness. And it really, I was saying to you that it really was in that moment that it dawned on me. Because for a while, I was just like, this is great. You actually never need cash. Everybody takes credit cards. And then I started to realize bit by bit how kind of scary that transformation is and the class implications of it. Because my first my first realization was, wow, I never have money to give to any anybody on the street or like, you know, on the subway, yeah, on the subway or yeah. anybody. Yeah. And that bummed me out. Yeah. Um, and then I started thinking about all of the restaurants that don't accept cash anymore, like all of these startup-y restaurants that are they like, do feel startup-y <laughs> like I don't know how else to explain it because I think it. they're all yeah. venture back. yeah yeah um yeah. or they've certain ta- taken a page from from those books <laughs> yeah. yeah and none of them accept cash and I was like this is why should you I'm never going to offer you cash anyway because I always do kind of it, it, part of this like life is that because I never have cash if I have it I want to conserve it so I never pay with it unless I have it's, to it's, it's a necessity yeah and then it was like wait what about people who can't have bank accounts yes. or, for some reason can't have credit cards or whatever it is and then they just can't patronize these places the term we learned is bankless which bankless. I think is a good term yeah yeah bankless. um well it also affects people who rely on tips and rely yeah. on cash tips um, oh my gosh yeah. and when you're at the hotel or wherever these places are where you want to leave well, money you're for the, the valet or, or the valet yeah, totally. or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't Venmo these people. No, it's, um, it's not how it works. Yeah. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's all very fascinating. The other thing I said to you, which is, mm-hmm. I think, a less interesting part of this, um, is just like, what do you do with kids? Like, right. do, at what point do kids get debit and credit cards now? What point do kids have access to spending money that is not a $20 bill or a $5 bill or a like dollar bill? Yeah, I, I have it's no really, idea. I don't know. I want to know. But I think the flip side of that is that some parents probably really like being able to track exactly what they're doing. I know, kids but you also can't like... control how they're, what they're doing. I think, yeah. Like if you give a kid right. like a $10 bill, like when, you know. When... Well, it's like, you guess you give them a debit card, right? That only has a certain amount I on know, it. but how much do you put in it yeah I like when you know when I was like little and you'd mm-hmm. go and like your parents would drop you off someplace and give you money for pizza you got like cash for pizza and you were meant to like right but that's what that. I think then they pull up their mobile app and they're like I just put $20 in your debit account like yeah I guess pizza. yeah no I I'm interested in hearing from people I don't, who yeah. do this I'm inter- I'm super interested in it. the other thing I realized mm-hmm. that part of the reason why I feel like I don't have cash with mm-hmm. me as much as I once did beyond just the inconvenience of going mm-hmm. to ATM machines is that now that Thomas and I have a joint checking account, mm-hmm. which we didn't always have. Um, it feels confusing to know. I don't yeah. like I, I feel this compulsion to keep track of where the cash yeah. came from. If it's my cash or our our joint cash. There was one time you and I went grocery shopping together and you paid in cash. And I was like, I why did you pay for that? And it was because like, that's that's a, yeah. that was mine and Thomas's cash. Yeah. And I know for sure it was. And yeah. I know for sure this purchase like this falls into that bucket. <laughs> 
I just don't like the blurring yeah. of these things. No, I understand. That is that I have also found to be a surprisingly like just challenging part of having it both a joint and an individual checking. Is this account. why people have wallets with like two sli- two money sleeves? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that must be it. It has to. Be. You know the other place where this becomes frustrating is the farmers market. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, because not everybody. I ex- do. I always get cash for the farmers market. That's not when I everybody get cash. accepts cash. Which for the longest, not everybody accepts or sorry, credit. Yeah, not everybody accepts credit. So then I was like, well, it's fine because they will sell you the farmer's market tokens and you can pay for those with credit cards. And then I found out from one of the vendors that the vendors don't really like the tokens because yeah. in some way or another, they basically get screwed over. I've never paid for anything at the farmer's market in anything but cash. Really? No. Oh it my God, I even like, like occurred to me, like going to the farmer's market on a weekend, I know that on the way, we have to choose mm-hmm. our route to the farmer's market based on where the ATMs are. Wow. Because I know I'm going to have to get cash to go. Like, that's really just part just of the calculus. We really should do that. Yeah. I, the pro- I bought, like, an insane amount of radishes yesterday to eat. Why? Over the- because there was a $25 minimum, and I was really committed to this frise that just looked so good. <laughs> And I was like, God, I that really want. That might be want- the most embarrassing thing you've ever said. <laughs> I really wanted it with mustard vinaigrette. And- no, it sounds. Listen, it all sounds great, but it- your commitment to it. Admitting- I rarely see frise. No, and I- yeah, totally. And I want it often, especially because we grill squid a lot. And like, I lo- all right, it's just getting out of hand. It's just getting out of hand. <laughs> we've 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 left the topic of cash, but either way, and it is one of the no, like we've left the topic of things that normal people make themselves on weekends. <laughs> well, that's like all exclusively a weekend. Squid thing. and frise with mustard vinaigrette. Welcome, squid. We grill a lot on the weekends in the summer. No, I like no, you know, I, and it's, it's very admirable. Yeah, yeah, no, it's impressive. It's so, impressive. It's um, impressive. I just, I just, yeah, I didn't know any Listen, of this. Listen, you used to make your own almond milk. That's <laughs> true. I told my mom that the other day. She had some questions about it. <laughs> Does she want to call in and we can do it on the podcast? Probably. <laughs> um, one thing we should talk about before our guest comes on that feels related to the farmer's market. These flower frogs mm. oh, that yeah. we have this on is the related. website. It, yeah. Yeah. I, God knows how we got here, but we managed to transition. <laughs> yes. Um, these flower frogs we have on the website by Floral Society. Yes. Um, which is the cutest company. Oh my gosh. So cute. We, we like unearthed them because we wanted to buy their pillar candles. And then we looked at the product catalog and we were like, we'll take it all. Yeah. <laughs> give us, give us everything. So a flower frog is basically like a vase, but it has. Well, I the, think technically a flower frog is the like, thing that sits inside of a vase. Right. right. Like when you like florists, it, when you get a fancy floral arrangement, I think it's made out of foam usually. Or like a gridded thing. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah you're yeah. right. It's a gridded thing. And if you've ever taken a flower arranging class, they probably introduce you to this item that basically helps you make the flowers stay in place because so they're not all they're not all lean into the left exactly and so they can all be exactly where you want them and so like traditionally there are these plastic grids that you put inside the vase vase to make the flowers look pretty but as you were saying our flower frog vase it's it's just built right in there so you can just stick the stems in the little holes and you don't have to be talented at all it's so cute and so you could like you could do it really sparsely and it could just be like an interesting little look or yeah. you could put in a ton of really full flowers and it would just look like you were this incredible flower artiste. Art- yeah, artiste with an E at the end for <laughs> yeah. sure if you did that. Yeah. And it's, it's just a really simple white ceramic vase and I just think it's so cute. Agreed. And it's 10% off with the code a few things. Sure is. We 
are back with Jeff Berkovici, who is the San Francisco Bureau Chief of Inc., Fancy, and he just released a new book called Play On, The Science of Elite Performance at Any Age, which is as fascinating as it sounds. Um, hi, Jeff. Hi, how's it going? Good. We're so excited to talk to you. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. Of course. Of course. Will you tell us about why you wrote this book? I got interested in this topic um, because I got old, basically. Uh, you know, I've, I've, Same. I've always been yeah. Who, yeah, I know. I, and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of people feel that way. I, I got interested in this topic because I, I'm, always, I'm somebody who, who always, loved to, always loved to play sports. It was a, you know, a big part of my life as a kid. Like a lot of people, I think, in my, in my 20s, I sort of set it aside a little bit while I focused on on my career. And then I got back into it in a big way in my thirties. I started playing, um, in my like, mid thirties, I started playing with this soccer team in Brooklyn and, uh, just loved it. Got completely obsessed with it. But it was the first time that I really realized what it was like to try to be any kind of athlete after you're 30. Yeah. For me, what it, what it looked like was just not only, not only being, you know, a little slower, a little, a little more sore, but I had all of these injuries that just piled up one after another until, um, I, I sustained this really nasty back injury I had to have emergency surgery for, and it was like months and months before I was recovered from it. So at that time, I was, you know, I'm also a big sports fan, and I, and I, when I watched sports, I would see all of these athletes on TV who were as old as I was, or or even older. You know, people like like Roger Federer and Tom Brady and Serena Williams and Shalane Flanagan, who were doing these amazing things, and seemingly, you know, I. I they would always be the commentators would always be talking about how you know no one's ever won a, a a Grand Slam tournament at this age, no one's ever won a Super Bowl at this age, whatever it is. And I just I, the journalist part of my brain was thinking like what's what's really going on here, you know, what's driving this phenomenon? And uh, you know, and then the and then the would be athlete part of my brain is saying what you know what of of what they're doing that's that's for real. What can I use for myself? Why is it all of a sudden becoming such a hot topic, this like recovery and the importance of rest? Because it's something I feel like I as a uh, what would you call it? not even like an amateur athlete, just like an someone who exercises yeah, a lot. Exercise enthusiast. I hear about it all the time. And when I was training for the marathon, it was like constantly about rest and active recovery in these things. I think that the big trend that's driving this longevity boom that we've, that we've seen in sports over the last you know, 15, 15 or 20 years is really, it really boils down to a more sophisticated understanding of uh, fatigue mm. and what happens when, when an athlete accumulates fatigue in their body over time and uh, the, the importance of balancing your fitness, you know, which, which everybody has to have for their sport, but balancing your fitness with freshness and with uh, recovery to make sure that you know, because when you're when you're not uh, when you're when you're fit when you're really well trained, but you're not getting the recovery you need in between workouts or in between performances, you might as well not be fit at all. You know, you're not right. performing to your highest level, and your your body, uh, you know, you're more prone to all kinds of injuries. So it's that kind of thing. You know, it's been understood by sports scientists for a long time, but the application of it in a lot of sports was very elusive. And I, I think you know what we've seen is that. They they sort of turned this corner in sports where they figured out how to implement it in a lot of sports where it had been difficult, and that's why you're seeing people like you know I mean a, the, a great example is Federer mm -hmm. who who now talks about how he's pared back his workouts in certain ways how he takes off the clay season so that he's fresh enough for Wimbledon and the U.S. Open yeah and you know the more examples we see of athletes who are succeeding this way 
the more the more of a trend it becomes. And I feel like I jumped ahead a little bit and I should explain it's not a spoiler for your book, but that so much of the key to to longevity and to, to being good in older age has to do with rest, rest. and yeah. active recovery yeah. Yeah. and the various treatment practices like, you know, whether it's acupuncture or, you know, Yoga other, or right. cryotherapy or right. whatever all it ends of, up being. All yeah. of these things, all of which, by the way, when I was marathon training, I was felt like Claire was deep into active recovery. I was during deep marathon into it, training. but I also felt scammed. Like yeah. I got, I was like, I got into marathon training. I thought all I had to do was just like rest, was was run a lot, and like maybe do more stretching than I was used to. But I was fully unprepared for the basically part time job that was going to acupuncture and massage foam and foam rolling. And what the are the boots? things you put the boots? I yeah. can't. What were those called? Jeff, what are those things you like put your limbs in? Um, the Nortec <laughs> boots. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, yeah. The Norma, the Normatec. Normatec. The, like, pressure cuffs. That, yeah. Um, Man, your, those yeah. things. But there, you, you spend so much time doing the, all that stuff. I felt like it, I was like, I wasn't prepared for this. And I whined about it. And the guy who was coaching me was like, well, this is what you signed up for. This is part of it. And I was like, but nobody told me. Well, one of the things I think that comes up in the book that I thought was interesting is that part of what had been so hard about convincing athletes to, to take active recovery seriously is that they feel like they should be working all the yeah. time and they feel like they should be doing something all the time. Mm -hmm. So that like the thing yeah. that you hated actually works for people who do this as a full-time job. Yeah, no, I, and, and I got lectured about that a lot. The thing that actually I found hard about it, in addition to being like feeling really uh, nervous that if I didn't run all the time, how was I possibly going to be prepared to complete 26.2 miles was that I was so used to when I wasn't training for something running every day and getting the mental health benefits of that, that the idea of taking time off and tapering down, I was like, but I'm not going to feel good and I'm going to get anxious. And it was really hard for me to do that. And I suspect that for people who are even more active than I am, having to take these uh, longer periods of rest is kind of a mind fuck. That is really interesting. And actually, so Medica Flerke, who mm -hmm. won the, uh, the 2014 Boston Marathon, he said he was talking to me about how uh, how hard it is for athletes to dial back. You know, people yeah, yeah. At, his, at his level of their sport, they're the ones who are able to, you know, they have kind of bottomless reservoirs of, of motivation and drive. So, they, you know, what he said is, is we're so conditioned to go, go, go. We just we crave that rhythm of going all yeah. the time that, you know, the hardest thing for us is to is actually to take a day off. Yeah. And I think that that, you know, as much as any science, I think it's psychology yeah. driving mm -hmm. the, the uptake of a lot of this, a lot of this active recovery stuff, because, you know, they say, you know, I, okay, I have to take today off, but I, but I still feel like I want to be doing something yeah. that's making me better as an athlete. So I'm going to go and get cupping. I'm going to go and get acupuncture. Mm. You know, the science behind a lot of these, uh, these recovery modalities, it's not that strong. It's based on kind of small studies with, you know, with weak effects, but psychologically, it's a it's a huge difference between doing something and doing nothing. It's proactive. You'll cup because like <laughs> you're doing it's not going to hurt if you're Michael Phelps or whoever. Well, and it does also feel consistent with the sort of rise in the trend of self-care in yeah. general and that it all sort of uh, wraps up into the same narrative that we're privileging right now. Um, what are some of the <laughs> what are some of the craziest things or, or the sort of uh, oh, uh, most um, trendy, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word, things that you've seen older athletes do to try to sort of enhance or recover or um, just maintain their fitness level? 
Well, one of the weirdest ones is um, Amari Stoudemire, the uh, the basketball player. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. playing in Israel now. He used to play for the Knicks. And he went. He goes to, or when he was living here, at, at least, he went to um, this this spa in Tribeca that's the only place in the country I'm aware of that does vino therapy, which is where you take a bath oh, in red it's wine. It's at the Air Ancient Baths, which yeah. I think is technically pronounced Irie. Yeah. <laughs> A-I-R-E. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it is, and I, I went there. I tried to I tried to go there and get the red the red wine bath, but they were uh, they were renovating. Oh no! That, that day, so I just <laughs> I just had to submerge myself in all of the other types of baths that they offer. But yeah, they told me that um, if Nadal comes in there every other day when he's in town for the U.S. Open, also and, for the uh, red wine. I made note of that uh, just for my own reference. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, so. And when it, so I, I talked to Amari and I asked him about it and he said, and he said, you know, because everybody loves to ask him about the red wine thing. And he's like, like, actually, you know, it just kind of feels nice. I don't know if he does anything special <laughs> for me. He thinks, he thinks that his secret to his longevity secret is that he started eating kosher. He thinks eating a kosher diet. Interesting. Uh, has his career, which wow. as far as I know, nobody has done a study on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Small sample size for sure. You do talk in the book about how running maybe just is not as bad over a long period of time as we thought, um, which was exciting for me as someone who likes to run every day. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, all this recent research seems to show that it's actually the, the things we were worried about with running, namely that it kind of wears out your wears out your cartilage, uh, you know, contributes to, to osteoarthritis in your knees and your mm-hmm. ankles. That seems to be... Uh, mostly untrue. I mean, when when you look at people, when you control for things like body weight, um, it seems like like running is actually uh, net positive for for your joints, and that that's probably which is really remarkable. Given I, the, the reputation yeah. it's gotten for everybody yeah. saying like, I get so many people who are like, you run every day, that's so terrible for you, um, which, <laughs> which I'm glad to be able to tell them they're wrong. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, you always, you know, I'm a cyclist, and you always meet people who say, "Well, you know, I became a cyclist because I used to run, and then my and then my knees went bad, mm-hmm. so I can't do it anymore." So that certainly that certainly exists. You know, some people probably aren't very good mechanically at running, and, yeah. or some people might have yeah. have different kinds of um, special health considerations. Mm-hmm. But but for a runner who's basically healthy, um, there's this there's this pattern of forces that uh, is generated when you run, and when you do some other things like um, like jumping or weightlifting. It's called cyclic loading, and uh, cyclic loading is, is what stimulates uh, cartilage stem cells to produce more cartilage. So it, it seems like running actually um, helps your body produce fresh, new, young cartilage in huh. your knees, which is what keeps you from getting arthritis. The other thing I keep hearing about in running that seems like a real sea change is that there was always this move towards like what perfect form is. And the thing I've been hearing lately is that at least for like non-professional runners like myself, that people are saying like, don't try to change your form. If you're not injuring yourself, just go with what you do because you're more likely to injure yourself if you try to change your form, Um, which still goes against my vanity because I run so goofily and I'd really like to make my form just prettier. (laughs) But um, I thought that that has been sort of an interesting shift too around running. Oh, that goes for even actually that goes for even highly trained runners. Hmm. I, I saw one study that uh, that even even like highly trained competitive runners, when they asked them to say, you know, are you a heel striker or a or a, a forefoot striker, mm-hmm. 
um, more than 50% of the time they get it wrong. Like you're, you're huh. really tinkering with something. Yeah. You're really opening a box of uh, gunpowder when you try to mess with your running form. Uh, definitely for most people, it's the most efficient and the, the healthiest way to run uh, the way that comes naturally to you. It's so interesting. Um, you touched a little bit, Jeff, on the psychology of older athletes and um, something that that I guess wasn't really a surprise to me, but was just sort of a realization um, that you laid out in the book was the idea that older athletes just like play smarter than younger athletes do. That to me is the implication that's like the most interesting here because it's like you've had years of of honing your strategy. And now if your skill is there too, you're elevating the game completely. Um, You have a really, there's a good quote in there from Tom Brady about how, you know, he... Um, he finally Don't attribute feels... anything good to Tom Brady. <laughs> Just as it relates to being a quarterback, um, simply <laughs> simply to that realm, um, that he that he finally is good at being a quarterback. He finally gets it. So why would he quit now? And you know the person, my my personal favorite athlete, Serena Williams. You can see how she's changed psychologically just by watching her play on the court. Like she yells at herself differently than she <laughs> yelled at herself 15 years ago. Um, I thought that that was a really interesting thing to explore, um, especially I think you know. Can you explain it a little bit in the context of soccer players? I thought that example was really strong. Yeah, this this whole area, you know, I devoted a big part of the book to, to both psychology yeah. and strategy, and those were my favorite topics yeah. uh, in the book. Um, so there's this, this, this um, a coach named James Galanis put it to me really well. He's, he coaches uh, Carly Lloyd, who is the best, uh, or at least the time I interviewed uh, him, he, he, she's the best women's soccer player in the world. Uh, and he was saying that he had to coach her as, as she kind of entered the, the last phase of her career, the most recent phase of her career, he, he was really working with her on playing slower. He said that she was playing too, too fast as a player. And he said, you know, in soccer, um, it's not the fastest feet that, that win. It's the fastest mind. And this is true in so many, in any sport that has uh, any degree of complexity, you know, it's really the speed of decision-making that limits uh, that, that, that governs success much more than, than how fast you run or how powerful you are. And that decision-making gets exponentially faster as, as you acquire experience, you know, the, the ability to read game situations. And we see it like dramatically, dramatically in football because you know, the level of complexity when you're playing against 11 defenders and modern defenses are so, are so complex. Yeah. That's why, you know, even, even just in the last 15 years, you've seen really the peak age for, for quarterbacks go from probably around, you know, around 28 to around 35. I mean, that most of the quarterbacks that make it to the playoffs are, are over 30 because it just takes that long to master the game. So if you can take out physical decline from the equation, mm-hmm. uh, which is, which is what we've seen, you know, science and medicine do in a lot of other realms and turn it into a psychological competition, Absolutely, people are going to peak in their, you know, in their 30s, you know, even even towards 40. Like, I don't think in 10 years, if football still exists, which I'm not sure about, but if it does, I don't think it'll be weird at all to be talking about 40 year olds winning the Super Bowl every year. That's fascinating. And running is such a mental sport in so many ways. So if you have that emotional maturity, then you're better prepared to just become a, a better runner by sheer like brute force rather than necessarily like your physical stature. Yeah, that's interesting. There's a new book out called um, Endure by Alex Hutchinson hmm. that's all about, I think the subtitle is The, the curious, Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Endurance or, uh, hmm. or of Human Performance. Um, and I can't really believe you remember the that, subtitle. Like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so he, 
that's that's all about that that area. Like why you know what where are the actual physical limits? You know where where does the physical bleed over into the mental? And uh, you're really um, I mean in running especially, there's all of these. I think so. Paula Radcliffe, you know, mm-hmm. the marathon or uh, marathon champion Paula Radcliffe. She got faster as she got older. She got more efficient as she got older. And, you know, when you look at why that happened, there, there are all these interesting reasons for it. Like they think that um, as she lost some of, her, some of the flexibility, you know, became a little more immobile uh, in her joints, that, that they think that that actually made her faster. That, wow. um, you know, she was sort of, sort of um, her stiffer tendons stored energy and better and returned it better, and, you know, requiring a little less uh, effort from her muscles to, to propel her forward. So, uh um, that's all I got there. <laughs> it's so fascinating. Um, <laughs> so that's a factoid for you. We like it. Um, something else I circled in the book that feels a little bit like a factoid was intrinsic motivation. Can you explain what that means? Yeah. Um, so intrinsic motivation means means um, that um, you're what what the enjoyment that you get out of an activity or the reward that you get out of yep. an activity is the doing of the activity itself versus any kind of, you know, accomplishing any goal or being, um, being compensated for it in any way. And when I talk to psychologists, sports psychologists about what really makes athletes different, the the ones who, the ones who manage to stay on top of their sport for, you know, 15, 20 years, they said, it's really uh, a unique ability to derive joy from, from every part of, from every part of their job, hmm. you know, not just from, from winning, but from like all the hard work and drudgery of practice and training that like, it's, you know, it sounds like a cliche to say that somebody like Roger Federer or someone like Tom Brady loves tennis or football more than anybody else. But like, it's really literally true. And you can see it in the things they say, like Tom Brady, you know, when he won his last super, his most recent Super Bowl. He said, he gave this interview afterwards that I love where he said, there's two things in life that I really enjoy. There's so many nice Playing things football. being said about Tom Brady on this episode, <laughs> and I am entirely uncomfortable with it. And it's fine. So... You can continue. I just want to make my position on this clear. All right. If sorry. Want, if you want, we can talk about Tom Brady's diet and how totally bogus it is. Yeah. What, <laughs> his political views, like, let's get, <laughs> the list is long. Truly. Um, okay. Absolutely. But go back. His dancing, his politics. <laughs> Let, but but go on. To pick, what, but was, what was this? What was quote? this lovely quote? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the quote was he said he said there's two things that I really love: playing football and preparing to play football. I'm like that is <laughs> for somebody who's been thinking about it. This is a guy who's been sitting in meeting rooms, memorizing playbooks, mm-hmm. you know, drawing X's and O's on a whiteboard for 20 years. And that's still what you would rather be doing than anything else in the world. Like that is unique. You know? No, that's it is like we who... should all be so lucky to love every part of our job that that much. Yeah, to find something that you feel yeah. that way about. Yeah, yeah. no, it's true. Because because I think Eric and I talk all the time about how we started a business because of this thing that we love. But when you find out what actually starting business is about, like 20, it's only about 20 percent doing the thing you love. And the rest of it is like accounting and lawyers. <laughs> um, so yeah. I, so I, Tom Brady's so lucky that he loves it all. <laughs> and that his yeah. wife's so or like beautiful. there's another there's another similar quote from from Roger Federer, who's much easier to love than Tom Brady, where he True. said he was talking about how how he finally, you know, he never had had any injuries in his career until he was like 35. And then he had he hurt his knee and he had to have surgery. And he was talking about how much fun he had rehabbing his knee thing. It was really an interesting experience. I really enjoyed the whole thing. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Okay, what? Funny. You know, there's, a, 
there's a lot of people in the world who can be, maybe not a lot, but there, there's a lot of people in the world who can be great at what they do for a year or two. Mm-hmm. But to be great at what you do for, for 20 years, the best in the world at what you do for 20 years, like that really does take that degree of psychological difference. Yeah. Um, the question that I'm sure you get asked constantly about this is what of the things that you learned in researching this book you've applied to your own life? I've applied a lot because basically this book, researching this book was a journey and learning how, how I was doing pretty much everything wrong. Yeah. Um, but the, the simplest piece of advice that I think is so applicable for so many people, this great uh, sports scientist that I love named Trent Stellingworth, who's a, uh, he, he coaches a lot of athletes in, in um, Canada, including uh, his own wife, who's a, an Olympic middle distance runner. And what, what the selling works told me is um, the most common mistake they see athletes make is you go too hard on your easy days, and too easy on your hard days. Hmm. You, know, you you get you get very different benefits from high intensity exercise yeah. than you do from high volume exercise. And when you sort of try to combine them in one workout and you're and you're spending a lot of time in that sort of mushy middle, uh, you get really low quality workouts and you don't get all the benefits of either. So. You know, decide, think before you start working out, think, you know, what am I trying to get out of this? Am yeah. I trying to raise my ceiling or am I trying to raise my floor? And, you know, do that. And if you decide that today is going to be a, a recovery day where I'm running slow, run really slow, yeah. you know, like, because that's how you make sure that you'll be able to run really fast tomorrow. That's so interesting. I was funny. There was a part in the book where you're talking about how you're about to take a run and you're like, I hadn't run for four days. And I expected the end of the sentence to be. So I was like worried that I was not I was not going to be able to do it. And you're like, so I expected my legs to be so fresh. And I was like, yes, that is the appropriate way to think of things. And I am just like the, the type A like neurotic person who's like, oh, my God, I didn't run for four days. I probably won't be able to run a mile anymore. Like it's all gone now. You've lost it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's another um, year Mary the uh, the hockey player who I think was 44 when I when I wrote about him, um, he said that you know at this age now he feels like a like a big truck like a big tractor trailer and that he's like I just need to work out every day because I feel like if the truck ever stops it takes so much more <laughs> to get it started you got to keep again. the battery yeah. fresh yeah should be noted Claire he's a yeah. real character <laughs> of a person so he might not be the one to aspire toward. <laughs> Um, Claire, you had a lightning round. I did. Do you, I don't know. You know, I don't know how it'll go with you. Here's my lightning round of one type of recovery versus the other. All right. You ready? (laughs) (laughs) There's no timer. Although it's being set up as though there might be. (laughs) You want to introduce a timer? It could introduce some suspense. Okay. Foam Foam rollers versus lacrosse balls. You can only pick one. Oh, lacrosse balls for sure. Really? Why? Uh, I used to be really into the foam rollers, and they're useful for some things. But um, lacrosse balls, you can get into all those little spots, like uh, like your piriformis, mm. or something. There's a lot of spots you can hit with a lacrosse ball. Wow, it's harder and it hurts more. I didn't expect that at all. I just feel like everybody's all about a foam roller. And you know what? Lacrosse balls are a lot easier to travel with, so I'm happy with this answer. Um, acupuncture. Also, if oh, you, go ahead. If you, sorry, I, I know there's a no. lightning round, but I gotta. <laughs> no, we're asking. We want more. We want more. Foot, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you want to be real pro about it, mm-hmm. uh, throw out your foam roller and just get a piece of, of fat PVC pipe from Home Depot. That's what the pros use, and it hurts like hell, and it's like two bucks. Wow, really? That sounds miserable. That sounds awful. <laughs> it, and it doesn't have yeah. the ridge. It doesn't have the ridges. I feel like the ridges it's are all where plastic. all the work gets no, done. No, it's hard plastic <laughs> yeah. is where all the work gets done. Okay. Wow. All right. Acupuncture versus massage. 
Um, I think that the research is a little stronger around massage. That's the most recent thing that I'd read. Um, acupuncture has really well demonstrated benefits, but it's mostly for uh, what, like pain management. I don't mm. think it's really a, for, for recovery, mm-hmm. like pain mm-hmm. management and things like, uh, you know, fertility or immune function mm-hmm. or something like that. I, I would say, I'd say massage. Does massage have to hurt for it to be working? Uh, no, but it's a bonus. Okay. Good to know. Um, tiger bomb versus CBD rub. There's only one right answer on this one. <laughs> Versus CBD rub? Yeah. Did you get into CBD at all as part of this? Yeah. Uh, I didn't get into it in the book, but, uh, but you know. But you um, live in California. I'm going to go with CBD. I'm kind of a big fan of CBD. That's the right answer. We have an excellent CBD rub on ofakind.com, should you be interested. Ooh. Um, yeah. All right. One more. Cryotherapy versus ice baths. Ice baths. Really? Ice baths all the way. Okay, yeah, how come? Yeah, about ice baths. I love them. Really? Um, I, be, uh, because, f- first of all, cryotherapy is, um, uh, I, I don't want to say anything bad about cryotherapy. I love ice baths, though. I really, like, the first couple times you do it, it's, uh, I guess you can, you can really tell it's working because your whole body gets freezing cold. But um, I've I've taken enough of them where I really enjoy them. Like I get in, I put a podcast on, I uh, you know. Play you, a how long are you like, in there? I, yeah, I felt oh, like I you're only supposed you, to be in there for like a couple minutes. You put a podcast on. Oh no, I go in for like twenty minutes. Uh, wow. you, what you got to do is get the little you get the little neoprene toe caps to put over your toes so they don't freeze, and then you. Oh can my be god! What? Who knew? I feel like yeah. your next book is on <laughs> on ice bathing, on ice baths. Um, who's that motivational speaker that I love that I ha- love to hate? Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins. Have you ever watched the Tony Robbins documentary where he gets in an ice bath no. every morning? Oh, yeah, you should watch it. He loves an ice bath too. His is like on the water in yeah. Malibu. <laughs> or like Florida or something. I don't know. It's it looks out onto the I ocean. Mean, it's a it's an aspirational ice bath. If it, if it didn't cost, if it didn't take forty pounds of ice and uh, and and you know a tub full of water, yeah, uh, then I would probably I would actually do it every day. I really like. Wow, it. wow, that is this really is a remarkable. true revelation, yeah. Jeff. Okay, well, what a note to I end mean, on. What, but- <laughs> Well, you guys love running, you know. If you, I mean, yeah. well, uh, well, at least, at least one <laughs> Erica just made a face. You, you love running. <laughs> yeah, I like you it. Know, okay, it's the same thing. Yeah, no, I get you if right. You, if you you learn, you have to have that intrinsic motivation. You learn to love the suck and crave the suck. And you know, just like I learned to love the suck in my workouts, I learned to love the suck in my ice baths. Okay, Jeff, that's amazing. Yeah. I think that is a wonderful <laughs> note to end on. Thank you so much for being here. Um, that's the show. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found, like Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify. Follow us at Of A Kind on Instagram and Twitter and like our Facebook page. If you have ideas or requests for the show, email them to a few things at ofakind.com. To advertise on our podcast, email advertising at ofakind.com. Our intro music, Butterfield East, is written and performed by the Soulful Saints. Our audio editing is done by Liz Smith, and we record at Showbriz Studios in the East Village. So many of you guys 
guys write in and ask about our theme song. It is called Butterfield East, and it is composed and performed by the Soulful Saints. You can check them out over at DallaRecords.com. That was a HeadGum Podcast.